I'm going to be reading in a moment from Acts chapter 2. And what a privilege it is on this Lord's Day, this Resurrection Sunday, to be able to recount the history of the church on Pentecost Sunday as Peter declared on that very first delivery to the people of God now filled with the Spirit, the foundation of all that was to come. And on this Lord's Day, as we gather in the last time zone in the world in which we live, of people, God's people gathered all around the world, rejoicing and delighting in the same thing, in the same Lord, our Lord is risen in the resurrection from the dead. And that is what Peter proclaims at Pentecost, at the very beginning as the foundation for all that would make up the church, all that the Spirit would do in the lives of his people, and all that would sustain us. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Lord God Almighty, thank you for these words. Thank you for their history, for their truth, and for their power. Help us in your church this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to draw attention this morning to those few words in the text that I read, that it was not possible for the grave to hold our Lord. That had never happened to the grave before. In the history of all of God's creation, it had never been impossible for the grave to hold on to whatever entered into it. This is the day that death lost its grip. You know what the word death grip means? It's in our normal English vocabulary, in our, our vernacular, our lexicon of, would you please let go of me? Your, your, your grip is like death. It means that something has a power to hold on to and it will not let go. That's what the word death grip means. It has meaning and significance because we know that death literally has a grip that is impossible to escape. And the grip of death is impossible to break. And that's why these words are, are so significant, that it was impossible for it to hold on to him. And death lost its grip. What a shock for death. <laughs> death had never lost before. Death had never lost its grip. Try to comprehend and, and imagine for a moment the significance and the stunning and shocking thing it would be for death for the first time ever to lose its grip. Those cords of death that, that bind, that had never, ever been broken 
are broken for the first time. I like to use Old Testament stories to try to illustrate gospel New Testament truth. And one of the stories that I think is illustrative of this is the story of Samson and Delilah. And Samson allowed himself to be bound with cords. Imagine those cords being the cords of death. And Delilah bound him. And imagine all the Philistines that were gathered around outside thinking that surely we have him. Nobody can break the cords of gut string. And imagine those Philistine leaders, like all of the cosmic powers around the grave of our Lord. Ha, he's in the grave. He's got bowstrings tied around him. Nobody can break bowstrings. Nobody has ever broken the cords of death. To die is to succeed in destroying your enemy because of death's grip. And what a shock and what a surprise for those Philistines when Samson came forth and broke the bowstrings like flax, it says. But imagine the confidence of something that has never been defeated. I mean, we we win once and we got a swagger. Imagine never, ever losing. Imagine the confidence, uh, imagine the swagger of something that had never, ever known defeat, not even once, all through history. In the 10.5.5 reading that is our, our daily reading together as a congregation, we're reading through the book of Matthew right now. And the first chapter is the, the chronological, um, the, the genealogy, thank you. <laughs> that is also chronological, right? the genealogy of our Lord. And as I read through that, every time I think, yep, the cords of death, every single one of them, the cords of death got them. And they could not break the cords of death. It does not matter how renowned those people have been, whether they be the renowned men of David and all of their strength and and all of their their victories. It doesn't matter how wise they were. Think of Solomon and all of his wisdom. It doesn't matter how great their exploits were. It doesn't matter how much their earthly power was. All of them. Death was their conqueror. All of them defeated by death. Death is undefeated. And so imagine the shock. Everybody likes a winner. Imagine sitting in the stands for a team that never, ever lost, that never, ever loses. None of us has a team like that, of course, and I stopped watching sports years ago because of that, because nobody wins all the time. But everybody roots for their team. Oh, if they could just win all the time. You might have seen that obituary in the Vancouver area recently about the Vancouver Canuck fan who died. And in his obituary, he posted publicly that he would like, please, six Canucks to come to his funeral as pallbearers so that they could put him down into the grave and he could be let down by six Canucks one more time. (laughs) I rooted for a hockey team once. It was in Alberta. And it wasn't the Flames. And I thought they're never going to lose, but of course they, they all do lose. But imagine something that never lost. 
Imagine the swagger, imagine the confidence, imagine, imagine the boast, imagine being undefeated. For example, a prize fighter, undefeated his whole life in the ring. Nothing ever stepped into the ring that wasn't knocked out, that he did not defeat. And yet when death stepped into the ring, all of them experience defeat. Death is the undefeated one. And so, Imagine the shock of death. When death is in the ring, undefeated, and it turns to see another one of the children of Adam step into the ring. Unlike any other, in all of that genealogy, he came to save us from our sins. And he did that by defeating death and bursting the cords that bound in the grave. How so? Proverbs 26, two is a proverb that I notice every time I, I read through the book of Proverbs and I, I pray through it and, and I, I, I wish it was more true of myself, but I, I always thank God for a savior when I read it. This is what it says. It says, a curse that is causeless does not alight. A curse that is causeless can't rest on somebody because it's causeless. And far often, too often, those are not causeless. And the grave had never found one that was causeless except in Jesus for the first time in history. Death found that its curse was causeless on the spotless Lamb of God. Let me put it in story language. Again, using the story of Samson. Samson was defeated. Judges chapter 16. He was a defeated foe. Finally, he gave up his secret. His hair was cut. And he was bound and his eyes were gouged out. And the palace of the Philistines was rejoicing. Their foe was defeated. And that palace of the Philistines is a good picture of the house of death as it drank and as it feasted to their God. Their enemy was defeated. Their great enemy was defeated. And they said, our God has given our enemy into our hands. That's exactly how the disciples felt too at the crucifixion. The crucifixion never erred in its purpose. The crucifixion was a place of public and effective death that even the disciples believed that to be true about Jesus, that the hero was dead. The people of the first century were not naive unscientific people who believed stories about people coming back from the dead. They knew the science. The science behind death is that it has cords that bind. You die, you stink. That's the science behind death. They knew it. 
You go into the grave and it's over. Even the disciples believed that as was very apparent on the road to Emmaus when Jesus met some of them. They said, it's over. Imagine this weekend if Jesus was still in the grave. I don't know, we might call it Jesus Day or something. You know, he was a good teacher. He died many years ago, but he taught us many great things. What a difference that would be. And Samson also appeared defeated. And he said to his servant, let me put my hands on the pillar. Just guide me to the pillar of this house. And he cried out with a mighty cry, oh Lord, remember me. And he brought that house of the Philistines down. In all of its swagger, in all of its boasting, it came down. And so God brought Jesus to the pillars of the house of death. Here's the main point I'd like to get across this morning. It's something that we emphasize over and over here at our church, and it's a delight to do so. We think it's the most important thing, and it's simply that God is real. And on this Resurrection Sunday, it is one of the greatest realities that God has demonstrated that he is indeed real. The grip of death has been broken, and it truly changes everything. In the resurrection, Jesus takes hold of all the purposes of God, all the purposes that God has for us, all the purposes that he has for his people, all the purposes that he has for the world, all the purposes that he has for all of the nations of the world. And he takes control of all of those purposes. He went into the grave, as Revelation chapter five says, he he went into the grave a lamb and he came forth as a lion to take hold of all of those purposes because the grave could not hold him. This is the application. Here's the so what. So what? He broke the cords of death. How does that change anything, much less everything? Well, first of all, it's it's a vindication for our Lord. You have to connect these dots. If Jesus is in the grave, then everything he said was a lie. But if Jesus, if the resurrection is true, then you have to go back to the words of Jesus and say, wait a minute. This man did not lie. If he lied, then the cords of death work. And it is a vindication of our Lord bringing down the house of death and loosening its grip was a vindication of everything that Jesus claimed to be. You who said you would forgive sin, surely that was the foolish moment where a lie came on his lips, where death could hold on to him. But no, he was vindicated. You who called God your father, surely that would create the curse that would have cause on him. But the curse was causeless. He spoke the truth. And he was vindicated. 
as he was on the cross and people mocked him and scorned him and said, you who said all of these things about the temple and, and all of these things, go ahead, come on down. Come on down, you who, 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 who said you would do such great things and there he endured such scorn. And he did not come down from the cross. He was taken down from the cross in order that he would enter into death in order to break its grip. And the resurrection of Jesus and the destruction of the house of death to break its grip was not only a vindication for him, but also for all of those who through salvation history have trusted in the promise. All through salvation history have been faithful, trusting in the promises of God. They've endured scorn for the promise and yet they died. Even Samson died. Oh Lord, hear me. And there he is at the bottom of a temple, crushed himself. It's all without purpose, as was read from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's all vanity, all of that hope, all through the generations, all through the centuries, all of that calling out to the Lord. Oh Lord, do not let me be put to shame. It's all for nothing if Jesus does not break the cords of death for all of those that have entered into it beforehand and all of those who will still enter into it, but in that hope. It is a wonderful hope. Christians do not endure suffering for the sake of reputation. We should be patient, humble people who can endure things because people will then think that we're, we're well, such patient, humble people. <laughs> There's nothing but pride. We don't endure suffering for the sake of our pride. We don't endure suffering for the sake of community. Well, it's a wonderful identity to have. You know, they suffer together and it binds them together and they have that in common. It's a, it's a, it's a thing that Christians do. No, how, how completely pointless it would be to endure suffering, to, as Peter says, as a gracious thing, to endure suffering because we're conscious of God. If it was merely for reputation, if it was merely for being a part of a community, it would be vanity. But this is the hope of vindication in all scorn and all suffering and all shame, that there is life and it is life everlasting. Second word is liberty. Breaking the cords of death means liberty for captives. Jesus stood in a synagogue in Nazareth and he was given a scroll of the book of Isaiah. And he turned and he unrolled the scroll. It says, this is Luke chapter four. And found the place where it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And what particular kind of good news? What kind of poverty is he speaking of? He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Liberty, freedom from captivity. 
The death has a grip of captivity. Death has a, a grip that goes after the grave. When we die, when we physically die, death has, has a grip that Jesus has set us free from, which is so significant that we are not bound by it. We have the hope of eternal life. But death not only has a grip that goes after death and in death, but death has a grip that precedes it, that precedes the grave. The grip of death that precedes the grave was very apparent in our first parents, Adam and Eve, after they sinned in the garden. They were very much alive still. And yet the grip of death is apparent upon them. It has long tentacles that, that, that precede actual physical death that goes out from the grave and it makes us afraid. It makes us fearful. It makes us cover ourselves. It makes us lie. It makes us run for cover. It makes us insecure. It fills us with shame and fear. The psalmist spoke of it often. He says, David said, the cords of death have entangled me. Now David was very much alive, physically. He was not in the grave. He was very much alive, but, but he said, the cords of Sheol entangled me and the snares of death confronted me. That's Psalm 18, verse five. And so death has that, that grip that is beyond the grave. But death has that grip also that precedes the grave. Those long tentacles. The, word, the book of Proverbs uses the word dread several times over to describe this, which I find helpful in my own life. A dread. Listen to the wisdom of God. Listen to the truth of God. And it will lift dread from you. That, that's dealing with those tentacles of, of, of loss, of, of fear, that emanates from the grave before we ever get there, that can bind us. It's a kind of general anticipation of loss where we anticipate that final loss in so many ways before the final loss of death actually comes. And it's important to unmask them. Say, I know what it is because it ruins our lives. And it destroys our relationships. This is why faith in Christ changes everything. The grip of death is broken. The final loss of the grave has lost its sting. And all of the ways that that fear of loss meets us in our path even now, to wrap us in his cords is broken in Christ. Praise the Lord. The grip of death is broken and slavery is over. I'm going to conclude by reading some verses from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter two. And I'd like you to listen to them very closely because it speaks of this slavery that we are delivered from. Hebrews chapter two, verse 14. 
Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that is Jesus, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death he might destroy the one that has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all of those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps us. He helps us, the offspring of Abraham. Would you please pray with me? Lord God Almighty, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace that is evident in your accomplishing of your purposes. Thank you for a savior. Thank you for a champion. Lord, thank you who, for one who came and, and did not elude death, but entered into death for our sake in order that its grip could be broken. Lord, help us by your help and by your grace to explore all of the implications, all of the things of faith that you bring into our life to help us to not only be free from the condemnation of sin, but also free from sinning. Liberate us, I pray, and may you receive great glory from your people. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.